Hi, I'm Tom Gasperidge, and you're listening to the Functional Tennis Podcast. Welcome to episode 93 of the Functional Tennis Podcast. I'm Fabio Molly, your host. This week, I speak to Tom Goodridge, the coach of 21-year-old Cece Bellis. Cece was a former world junior number one and has a WTA career high of 35. We talk about Tom's early playing days, how he got into coaching, his last minute move to the States, his growth as a coach, working with Cece and much more. I also do a small reveal of a new version of our tennis pointer, which is due for release in late summer. I'm really excited by it. I can't wait over the coming months to share more info about it with you. Finally, a shout out to our podcast sponsors, Slinger. Head over to slingerbag.com to get all the info on the portable ball machine. And if you have any questions about it, feel free to reach out to me at any time. Okay, here we go. Tom, amazing. Great to have you on. And I was just saying to you the difficulty of getting females on our show, but uh, we've had loads of female coaches and you're a female coach of uh, Cece Bellis, who is, who was a great, is a great American player. She was like the one, the second youngest player in the top hundred a few years ago. And I know she's had a couple of injury issues over the past while, which maybe you can tell us about and tell us how that's the challenge as a coach dealing with that. But uh, great to have you on board. And, where are you from? The UK? Yeah, I'm from uh, Bournemouth in the in the UK. Uh, I started playing tennis around sort of six years old, just through my parents, actually. Um, but I actually grew up on a farm and they would buy me uh, Wimbledon cassette videos uh, every Christmas. And the way that I started learning tennis is I would watch those videos sort of I remember clearly watching the 2000 uh, Sampras Rafter final and I would actually go out on the wall after I finished watching the video and try and mimic the guy's forehands or their backhands. Um, and I caught the bug that way. And, and then just from, you know, hitting on the wall, my parents saw that I, I loved the sport. So uh, they started taking me to some local clinics and that's where I kind of, built up from there but I I actually I taught myself at the very beginning I probably didn't have a private lesson so I was about 12 or 13 uh so quite a late starter in terms of of technique and development we've we've seen plenty people that's how they start just watching videos of great tennis players and trying to mimic them so it's definitely a good way to start and how did your tennis career progress then yeah, so I, I started taking it a lot more seriously. I was probably quite late to the game at, at that stage. Um, but my parents, they really, they didn't know a lot about the tennis scene. Um, but once we started to understand it, they really tried to help me as much as possible. So I, I ended up moving to Spain when I was about 15. Um, and I spent some time at the, the Juan Carlos Ferrero Academy out in um, Alicante, and that was a phenomenal experience. I learned a lot there. I learned um, about work ethic and sort of, you know, the kind of grind that it takes to really get quite far in tennis. Had a lot of great coaches out there and sort of just, you know, played at a solid level juniors. I was always around kind of top 20 in the country. But when I got to around 17, 18, I started to realize that the playing route was 
very, very tough. And so I sort of veered in the coaching direction from about 17. So you had your head switched on. You knew what was ahead. <laughs> Realized the grind that was ahead of me. And I thought, you know what? I think it's a safer idea to, to look to get into the coaching side of things. Nice. And just going to touch back a little bit. You mentioned your parents didn't know much about the game or uh, how important is it that parents are in tune with like coaches and various things when their kids are starting to move forward? It must be really important. Yeah, I, I honestly, I think that that's a big, I wouldn't say necessarily issue in US tennis or in tennis in general, um, but I think there's a lot of coaches out there that actually put on quite a good show on the court. But then if you kind of really get into the nitty gritty of what they're teaching, um, it's a whole different ball game. And so I think it takes a very sort of strong-minded parent um, and a very dedicated parent to actually understand who's a good coach, what's going to be best for your child, because there can also be great coaches, but they don't necessarily click with your child. So I think that's a massive factor in developing juniors and trying to match them with the coach that is potentially going to bring them forwards throughout their career. I think it's a huge challenge for parents. And what's more important, a coach that you get on with that may not be the best coach in the world, or a coach that you don't get on with as good that is technically and tactically unbelievable? Well, that's a, that's a great question. Honestly, I, I think the most important thing in coaching is your passion. Um, I would take a coach that doesn't necessarily have all of the, the tools just yet. Maybe they're younger. Maybe they're working towards something. I would take a coach like that any day of the week, just because of the passion and the amount of work that they're willing to put into their, um, to the, to the child, I think is it overrides everything in terms of experience and a coach that's sort of been there and done it. Um, they're willing to put in the extra hours. They're willing to go to the tournaments, watch, you know, the players. And when I was younger, the, the first thing that I started to do was I, I got out to as many tournaments as possible. I sort of showed not only the, the kids, but also the parents that I was willing to take the extra step and the extra mile. Uh, and I, I think that goes a long way. When, I'm sorry, many years you've been working with Cece? So I started working with Cece when she was 15. It was actually just after she had that big US Open run where she beat Sobolkova. It was for a mutual uh, connection, actually, in, in Philadelphia. I was in Philadelphia at the time, and she had played a, an ITF grass court event a year before that, and her dad had stayed in contact with the director of the country club there. And I was doing a lot of work with a lot of the top juniors in, in Philadelphia at, at the time, and so my name kind of went through the grapevine because um, Cece was looking for someone to come down and hit with her through the, the 25Ks in South Carolina. Um, and so anyway, just we got connected and, and they flew me down. And uh, we did about a four-day training block before those tournaments started. We had really good energy, great intensity together. And it kind of just clicked from the first practice session. Um, and then she ended up actually winning both of those tournaments. She, uh, she won them back to back. Uh, so it was a good start. So that it, it just kind of continued from there. <laughs> and we'll touch more on her later. My, my question I was trying to get at. So you you worked with her. How, how old is, how old is she now? So she's twenty one. Uh, so we started when she was fifteen. So 
yeah, six years more or less. So, so what's changed as from you as a coach in those six years? W- what areas have you learned in? Have you ex- excelled in, do you think? Yeah, I, I would say I'm probably a completely different coach from now till then. I think one of the biggest things that I personally changed is I've become very much more uh, about the vision of, you know, how um, she's going to play in the, in the future. What are we kind of building towards um, trying to put every sort of foundation uh, together. So uh, every player that I kind of work with, whether it's, you know, CC or, or a junior, I'll sort of look at them from, from day one and say, okay, well, on her best day, how do I see her playing? You know, what's, what's the vision? What's the end goal? To me, I see her game uh, about taking time away, about playing with, with high tempo. Um, you know, she's got very natural athleticism and speed, and she uses that incredibly well on, on defense. And I think she does it already very well on offense, but I still think she could be even better about taking time away and, and getting on the front foot. You know, her natural consistency is a huge strength. She's always been about quality repetition and training high high numbers on the court. So I always try and maximize that. And I'm really trying to let her feel that she's gaining rhythm on the practice court, feeling the ball well, because that's when she feels that I'm most confident. And then just giving her all of the tools that she possibly can, because I find that the WTA game is very physical now. There's a lot of, you know, very strong girls out there with, you know, 115, 120 miles per hour serves now. So I feel that she she needs to have the tools to be able to counteract any type of player, whether that's where she needs to slice a little bit more, whether she needs to play off the side of the court a little bit more at times, whether she needs to go heavier at times, just giving her every possible option. So she's a great problem solver. So if I give her those tools, I'm pretty confident that she'll figure out how to get the get the win. Yeah, it makes a big difference whether you're having working on a game plan or she's problem solving on court herself. And you know you've all these shots, so you're not limited by, I don't know, not being able to hit a slice. I'm sure a lot of people still struggle with slice getting into the top level of the game or certain types of serves or spins. And yeah, so you're right. It, it, I think it's a necessity that a player at that level needs all these tools. Yeah, you've you've got to have options um, because, you know, you can find yourself up against an opponent and you're playing your sort of plan A and you could be a set and a breakdown. And if you don't have other options to make those adjustments, you're going to be off the court pretty quick. And I I think I'm very fortunate and she's a very, uh, like I said before, she's a very good problem solver. So I I would be definitely doing her a disservice if we didn't uh, practice every shot and try and hone in on every shot. Uh, because there's some players out there that maybe wouldn't think about using those sort of shots, but she's someone that, you know, she doesn't need the on-court coaching. Uh, if that's sort of a, you know, she, she'll be very comfortable about making those adjustments herself. There's not often I've seen her in a match and, and sort of kind of screaming at myself and thinking, why isn't she trying this? Uh, she usually figures it out. That was the question I was lining up for you. I was like, is she, you say she's a problem solver. So I don't think she's an on-court coach type of person, but you answered affirmly, she's not. And it makes, it makes sense. Like, Yeah, I think sometimes, I mean, it, it obviously has its pros and cons. I think for entertainment value, uh, it can be great. And for the sport in general, I think that there's maybe uh, something to be said for it. But I, I think 
tennis is that sort of sport where it's that one-on-one sort of combat. And I think what makes these players so good, so great, is that they they have the ability to problem solve. And so you kind of take away that that little bit of the game in, in a sense. So I would probably say maybe I'm a little biased, but I I, I would actually I would say against it, to be honest. Yeah, it, it sounds that way. Now let's cut back a few years here to 18-year-old. You decided the tour is going to be really tough. I don't want to work 10 hours a day on court. You know the road ahead, it's 10 years before you could actually make it. So you said, I'm going to go coaching. How did your coaching journey kick off and how did you end up in the States? Yeah, so I I was a you know like a, a decent player, uh, especially in, in the country and around my area. And um, when I started to hang the rackets up, a couple of local juniors they reached out to me and just asking if I had any time to hit with them, do some extra sessions over the weekend outside of their programs. Uh, so that that's how I started in England. They do a really good job with the the coaching qualifications. So while I was doing that. Um, I started taking my level one and my level two qualification, uh, LTA. And I always remember my first session where I was shadowing a mini tennis coach. And uh, it sounds so basic, but I didn't even know where to put the basket. I didn't know where to put the basket <laughs> on my dominant side or my non-dominant. And he was kind of laughing because, you know, I'd spent thousands of hours on the court. Yeah. I didn't know where to put the basket. So that was interesting, but it, it, Honestly, it progressed pretty quickly. Uh, I then got a job at a sort of a, a smaller club and I did everything at that club, whether it was I was going into schools, I was teaching tots tennis, um, I was working with some high-level juniors as well. Um, so I kind of got that experience of a full mixed bag. And that, looking back on it, was very valuable because... I felt like I didn't skip any stages of coaching. I was able to communicate with a six-year-old and, you know, the fundamentals of working with a six-year-old and the movement patterns and and just general coordination and balance. And then I was working, you know, uh, with a 14-year-old that was playing national level tournaments the same, same day. So that was a great starting point. And then not long after, about a year after, I moved to one of the Virgin Active clubs in, in England. And I started hitting with this, this guy who was around sort of 28, 29. And I'd been there for about a year, a year and a half. And I was actually looking to move to the States, but I was really struggling to get um, a sponsorship and, and a visa. Mm. So... I actually chose to move to New Zealand. So I had my visa ready. I had my bag packed. I had my flight set and it was my last day. And, and I actually had that, that guy that, that came in and hit with me for an hour. And we didn't talk a lot. He just wanted to hit balls and he was pretty good. And I told him that it was my last day and I was going to refer him to another coach. And he said, well, uh, have you ever thought about moving to America? And I said, well, I'd love to move to America, but you know, I've got some problems with the, with the visa. And he said, listen, my, my bro, my brother runs a tennis academy out in Philadelphia. Would you, would you be interested in that? And so honestly, three days later, I was on a plane and I was landing in Philadelphia. I'd never been to America before. And sort of the, the rest was history from there. Well, so you said New Zealand, no, thanks. The I, said, yeah, I, canceled, I canceled the flight. I canceled the visa. My dad, my dad wasn't very happy with me because he'd already got the flights. <laughs> Look, it was 
you were doing what you wanted to do, which is amazing. Castaway, yeah. it's a bit like saving match point in a tournament, isn't it? Where, you know, you save match point and then next round you win the tournament, sort of, that sort of feeling. Exactly. Yeah. So you got, so how was, so you got started in this academy in Philadelphia. And from what I read online, you trained a lot of quality juniors there that went on to do great things in the States. Yeah, we, for a, you know, a long time there, I was the director of the academy. We had a, a great program. Um, I hired some, some former friends that, you know, were playing college and, and, you know, they came over and, and worked with me. And we built up a very, very good program where, you know, we were kind of consistently doing well at the, the L1s and the L2s. What, what are the L1s and L2s? So uh, in America, you've got kind of super nationals and, and nationals, which the super nationals are L1s and the nationals are L2s. Uh, and they're the, kind of the highest quality tournaments that you can play at, at the juniors. And they started to do very well. Uh, the academy started to grow. The reputation was strong. We had a good philosophy. Every coach was kind of working towards the same thing. And it, and it grew from there. And, and it was a good run. It was very satisfying to see the players kind of get those scholarships. They went on to, you know, colleges like Baylor and Pepperdine and Yale, Princeton. Uh, so it was a very, you know, it, it was very rewarding to see those players sort of start from maybe 11, 12 and then sort of watch them grow all the way through the college. And, and who knows? I mean, some of them might opt to try and go pro afterwards. We'll, we'll see. Any, any time will tell. Uh, what was the philosophy? Uh, so personally, I, especially for the juniors, I think a strong technical foundation is, is key at a young age. Uh, I see a lot of juniors where if they're not necessarily taught the, the fundamentals, they can be extremely good athletes, very talented. But if grips, backswings, if they're not quite in the parameters of where they need to be, I, eventually I think it catches up to them. Um, I saw a lot of very good 12 and under players that you just don't see in the 16s because that's something holds them back technically, but also the, the mental side. So I really encourage the, the players to be as aggressive as possible at a young age. And sometimes that kind of comes back to bite me because they lose matches in the 12s by you see the, the, the sort of the smart national players, they might moonball or they might, you know, they keep the ball in. It's more of a consistency game. And I would have my players, you know, as soon as the ball came, come up, come up in the air, I would, they would take it out the air. They would go for winners off, you know, maybe shots that they probably shouldn't be. But I found that over time, their decision-making became better. Um, and they started to win those matches as they got a little bit older, they hit their growth spur. And so I, I found that it was more of that sort of longer game, but the success came when they were around 14, 15. So that's what we re we really tried to make sure that every coach was thinking that way, was trying to be aggressive, trying to get on the front foot. I'm not a big fan of players waiting in the open stance. I think that you see a lot of kids, they, they look like they're hitting the ball really big and they're ripping. Um, but you look at their feet and they're kind of waiting for the ball that's landed on the service line. So we were all about sort of taking time away, about being aggressive and strong fundamentals, just technically. And that usually served the players quite well. Nice, nice. Yeah, it's good to have philosophy, something you believe in. And especially when you see the kids getting results, that must be hugely satisfying. 
Very. And, and it was fun as well, trying to build a team that also believed in that philosophy, uh, because it's, I think it's easy for the kids to buy in and, and also the parents. But sometimes when you're bringing in coaches that have been at other academies or maybe had some experience elsewhere, it can be tough to change their mindset. So we brought in a lot of younger coaches that were good players, but they were still open to learning. And so I, I, I thought it made for a good dynamic. Great. This podcast is brought to you by ASICS Tennis. ASICS is a Japanese company founded in 1949 with the purpose of giving more people the opportunity to experience how sport and movement can have a positive impact on mental well-being. They just launched their most innovative tennis range ever. Get the new Cord FF3 Novak or Gel Resolution 9 at ASICS.com. ASICS Tennis have also just launched their new Cord FF3 Novak, the only tennis shoe designed with Novak Djokovic input. To learn more about ASICS, visit their website www.asics.com. And then you were, how, how many years were you in Philadelphia? So, Yeah, so I was I was at the academy working with CC for a while. I would kind of flick back and forth. Um, so that was about two years. I was mainly on the road with CC, but I would drop into the academy from time to time. Then I was at the academy for a good sort of two and a half years just directing it and really kind of getting hands-on uh, with the day in, day out. Um, so I was in Philadelphia for two and a half years to three years, kind of, you know, full-time at, at that stage. So quite a bit of time. I like I like Philly, good city. Was there a decision to go on the road after that? What, what happened? Yeah, so it was just, CC had had um, a couple of surgeries at that point, And I was actually at the USDA with one of the junior boys that I was working with. And he was invited to a national camp down there. Uh, so I was down there kind of working with him and, and working with the USDA coaches on his game. Um, and whenever I'm in Orlando, I'd always have dinner with CC, And she had been out for about a year at that stage. And, and we had dinner and you know, we got talking about a tennis and a comeback and we just decided to reconnect and, and get things going. So that was April 2019. So that's when I decided to move down to Orlando and and uh, start working with her again. Nice. And how's that been? I know maybe 2019, was she rehabbing her back on court and then moving on to obviously 220 has been a nightmare for a lot of people. So how's that been? from a coaching point of view yeah it's uh, i think it's been a, a crazy experience we've definitely i think her most importantly we've done a, a really good job of staying positive throughout you know the, the injuries we're always trying to look for silver linings so you know she's had some time from you know away from the tournaments whether that's due to covid or you know some of the injuries um but she loves to be out on the practice court. She, she loves playing tennis. So it makes things very easy for me as a coach because she turns up every morning and there's nowhere else that she'd rather be. So we're able to really maximize her, her training. And so when the break happened with COVID, it, it wasn't too big a deal for us because we had already been in that situation a couple of times before. So we just kind of look at it as a way of getting better. You know, when, when there's not many tournaments around, we have longer stretches of training blocks where we can make some, some changes that we probably wouldn't have time to make 
in a normal season where you've only probably got a week or two between tournaments. So that's the way we, we kind of approach it. We really try and maximize the training blocks. Um, one of her, bi- her big goals right now is just to get a lot stronger so she can make sure that her body can last, you know, through the, the impacts of the seasons. Cause as I said before, the WTA games just getting more and more physical as we go along. So I think spending more time in the gym and really sort of building that foundation, you know, on her body is, is the most important thing right now for her. And you're based in, you said in Orlando, the USTA uh, facility there. What, first of all, what's your typical day like? And two, what other players are around there? So there's a, yeah, our typical day, CC likes to train early. Um, and, and so do I, to be honest. I mean, number one, the in the summer, the weather in Orlando is brutal. So we'd like to get out there around sort of 8.30 and start. But she'll do a very dynamic warm-up with the, with her physio. Uh, make sure that, you know, that lasts at least sort of 30 minutes, just making sure that her body is ready to go. And, you know, we'll do a practice session for, you know, anything around sort of a two-hour session. And the mornings are normally based around uh, that quality repetition. Uh, she likes to get a lot of numbers in. Like I said before, she likes to get, you know, good sets of sort of 15 balls. She really breeds confidence from hitting a lot of balls and, and feeling good on contact. So that's really kind of the, the basis of the morning. We'll work in, you know, all of the shots, you know, she'll work on the drop shot. She'll work on the slice. Then generally she'll go in for a fitness session uh, afterwards. So she works with one of the trainers at, at the USDA and she'll go in and do a session with him, whether that's a lift, whether that's, you know, more of a cardio session. Um, it can change from day to day. During the, the lunchtime, we'll sort of, she'll rest, she'll eat, recover. Um, and then in the afternoon, it's a little bit more, it, it depends on the, on the day-to-day basis, but maybe a little bit more specific-based. Um, we're really working hard on a serve right now, trying to focus on that becoming a weapon. So it would be more sort of that maybe one-two on the serve, that one-two pattern, or maybe a return plus one. Uh, Maybe we'll be working on something specific like the low forehand. So that's generally kind of the the day. And and then she'll actually then head into rehab and she'll probably do another hour, hour and a half of, of rehab and just maintaining her body, whether that's stretching, whether that's something specific with her arm and just that sort of specific strengthening. So it's a pretty action-packed day, that's, that's for sure. She loves to train. She loves to work hard. So sometimes, it's honestly, it's trying to rein her in a little bit because she loves to work so hard. You know, you, you've almost got to kind of balance that a little bit at times. Yeah, it, it's for those listening. It's a full-time job. Like, it's, not, it's nine to five, day in, day out, and more. But yeah. uh, do you feel... Sorry, I'm going to move on to this. I briefly asked this what I asked you. Is there other US players floating around there? Yeah, there, there's a lot of great players. I mean, you've got... On the guy's side, you've got Mackenzie McDonald, uh, Bjorn Frantangelo, Chris Eubanks. Um, tennis Sangroom was there a lot. Uh, so you've got those on the guy's side. And, and then on the girls, uh, Madison Keys is around a lot, Alison Risk, um, and a couple of the younger Americans, uh, you know, Usue Arcanada, Caroline Dollarhide. So that's why we love being in Orlando as well, is there's a lot of good practice matches. And especially right now during COVID, 
And where there's not a lot of tournaments going on, it's actually great to have those players around to get some practice sets in. Otherwise, if you you live somewhere a little bit more remote, you might actually go a month without getting some practice sets in against another girl. Yeah, that was again, you seem to be getting to my questions before I get to ask them. But uh, it was one, so you do all this work, working on technical, bigger serve, low forehands, working on new patterns. And obviously you can, you can play um, practice matches or you can play competitive matches. Do you feel that the competitive match, you learn a lot more from to see where you're really at or the practice matches at the USTA facility there good enough to know where you are? I think it's a combination. I don't think there's anything that you can do in practice to simulate an actual match. And that's been a huge challenge for us with the injuries is getting back to a tournament schedule. And it's something that we learned last year when we headed to Australia. She had been out for a considerable amount of time and we headed out to Australia and she was doing really, really well in, in practice. I mean, she was she was doing really well in her practice sets during the preseason. She felt great. We felt like her games were really coming together. And as soon as we got out to Auckland, um, it was a windy day. The conditions were really poor. She came up against an opponent that was playing really well. And she, she was a little nervous going into the match, which is completely natural. She hadn't played a match in a couple of years. And it was sort of like, oh, you know, it, we weren't kind of maybe expecting it to be that different. And that was definitely my mistake. I should have probably prepared her um, to be in a little bit more of a vulnerable situation and almost be ready for that adversity. But it, it worked well because we sort of took that experience. And then a couple of weeks later, she ended up having a great run at the Australian Open. So we were able to turn that into a real positive. But going back to your question, I, I think you can learn a lot from practice matches. I think there's certain things that you can really zone in on and try and improve. And you can try and execute that in practice. But it's about probably doing that over and over again to gain the confidence to finally do it under pressure in a match because it's a different ball game when there's pressure involved. Oh, totally different intensity level. Uh, yeah, it, it's crazy. And tell me, I have to ask you this. I know you bought a tennis pointer. I know you haven't used it yet, but what was your goal to use? I hope now you're using it with CC. I'm not actually 100% sure of that, but if it was, what was your goal for using the tennis pointer? Yeah, I really wanted, I, I got it in the preseason to work on a serve with the tennis pointer. So I'd seen a few videos of players using it on the serve. And one of the things that we're working on is trying to stay side on for longer. And I felt that the tennis pointer would be great for, for the contact point. Because uh, obviously it's such a small head that if she makes contact in the wrong place. She's not even going to make, make contact with the ball. So I really liked the idea of it. Um, it was bad timing because then she started to have a few elbow issues. And so the impact of, of hitting it with the wood, um, the physio was like, no way, you're not, you're not trying that just yet. So I've got it in my car. It's ready to go. It's just a matter of time before we, we pull it out and we start, start using it. Hopefully a couple more weeks and then, and then we'll, we'll pull it out. Well, yeah, let me know when you do that. I, I do know Iga Swintek used one and the guys were meant to get me a video. They were using it on a return, I think, or forehand. Uh -huh. They were meant to get, they never sent me the video. I don't know why, but I, I had confirmation from multiple sources she used one. And also to help with, we've had people ask a lot about the whole arm thing, but we haven't had any issues at all in the year and a half selling these. 
But I'm going to let you in on a secret here if anybody's watching or listening. I'm working on a new version, slightly bigger head with strings. I'm wow. hoping prototypes land in two or three weeks, but I'm hoping it's going to be here by late summer because there's a lot of work still to go into it. So that is an exclusive drop wherever you're listening. And I haven't even told the Functional Tennis page yet or anybody else. So I'm just getting a bit excited now. So I'm trying to contain it. So there you go. But no, uh, thanks a lot for that info. May I just have one more question for you? Something we ask everybody, whether coaches, players or people who work in tennis, what advice do you have for juniors out there who want to be pros? Well, I think I think first you've got to be, be prepared for the for the long journey. I don't think there's any shortcuts. I think surrounding yourself with good people from from the get go. So do your research and try and find a coach that you feel is going to do the the extra work for you, um, because there has to be sort of a CEO um, involved in a in a junior progression whether that's the parents or whether that's a coach there's got to be someone that's driving that um because there's a lot of work that that goes into it so i think you've got to lay the foundations uh just both technically tactically mentally and also physically and one thing that i would personally advise you know kind of top juniors is actually start working on specifics with your body, whether that's weaknesses with, it could be an ankle, could be a shoulder, get your body checked out straight away so that you find the weaknesses so you can actually work on that when you're 10, 11, 12, that way later down the line, uh, your, your body's sort of ready for that physical strain that if you're playing at that high level of tennis, it's going to be under. So I think that's a really important part of it, but I would also make sure that you're just making sure that your technique and your foundation is set because if there's any weaknesses there, eventually you're going to hit a level that your opponents are going to find that. And then it's an adjustment period of, okay, well, you know, sometimes when you're 15, you actually can't make that change. At 10 years old, you're, you're almost like a sponge. You haven't had the high repetitions. So you're able to make those changes much easier. But as soon as you get to 15, where you've had five years of those reps with the wrong grip or, or the wrong backswing, it's very difficult to make those changes. So I would say from that age of about 10, make sure that you're technically efficient and make sure that you're physically efficient. Yeah, that's a good point. Last On last week's episode, we had Julia Framova on the podcast, who is uh, the mother of one of the world's best 11-year-olds. And she was saying how uh, Senia does all these rehab exercises, like there's an hour a day of them and they're just programmed into her. So when she, you know, obviously she's bulletproof in her body, but when she's 18, 19, 20 or 21, it's not hard work to do these because I'm sure we see a lot of players and they ha they had never done these exercises. Then they have to do them when they're in their 20s. They get their first ever injury. And all of a sudden it's hard work. Like everybody hates doing those exercises. But if you do them, from your kid to just part of your DNA then. Yeah. Uh, and we work a lot with um, Mark Kovacs, who I think has been on your show before. And he talks a lot about just training movements. You know, it doesn't need to be with weight. And I think that that's something that's so important is just the, the kids, if they, if they get used to those types of movements, not only are they going to be able to actually do them, you know, later on and do them with more weight, but they just get into the habit and, and good professional habits at a young age, which I, I think goes a long way. 
Yeah. No, no, he, I remember Mark was clear about that. It was a very good yeah. point he made. But last last question, Tony, one more. When are we going to see CC back at tournaments? So we're aiming for the clay swing. Um, and, you know, we're, we're thinking because of the tournament schedule, we're probably thinking about starting uh, with some 100Ks in America. She had a great run at the back end of last year where she, she played a few 80Ks and 100s at the ITF level. And she really started to find her game. She did great on the WCA tour as well, but it's a little different. Um, and I, feel, I felt that she actually had a little more time to get her range in those matches, be a little bit more aggressive. She had a little more time to actually dictate. And, and I think that that does wonders for the confidence when you're actually able to be, a, be more aggressive on the court and win matches through aggressive tennis. Whereas at the top level, although she was playing very well and she was getting great results, she was having to counter punch a little bit just naturally because of the, the serves were so big and, and the first couple of shots were so big. So she, she was getting great results and she was playing really well, but there's a whole different level of confidence to doing that. So I think the plan is, is that we're going to start at the ITF level and really build up a match tolerance. And so that she feels that when she gets to the French, when she gets to Wimbledon, She's already had sort of 15, 20, 25 matches under her belt. That's where she can be really dangerous. She likes to have the, the reps under her belt. She's always been a great match player. She breeds confidence the more matches she plays. So that, that's kind of the, the tactic with the tournament schedule that we're looking at. And I think once she gets the matches under her belt, she's going to be really dangerous. Great. Well, I, I look forward to following the journey over the over the coming year. And yeah, thanks a lot for jumping on. Appreciate it. Good to hear the stories. And yeah, wish you the best of luck. And hopefully we get to see some, see seeing some Grand Slam tennis causing a few upsets. Thanks, Fabio. Appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Tom. It's a pleasure to speak to tour coaches and listen to their stories and advice. Really hope you enjoyed them. I'll be back next week and until then take care bye